Welcome to a very special episode of Having a Natter. In fact, it's so special, we've had to split it into two parts. Recently, David called me Dave Silito, and I sat down with our good friend Carolyn, called me Carolyn Hobday, to talk about the issues of bullying and grievances within EHR and the particular strains and stresses which individuals who work with EHR have faced and are continuing to face in the current climate. This is the first part of our conversation, and I hope you all enjoy it, which I'm sure you will, as I'm not the one doing the talking. Hello! Welcome to another edition of uh, Robinson Ralph's Having a Natter. As you all know, this is an incredibly unpopular podcast, but where it does get popular is when we have guests on who detract from the awfulness that is um, myself and Mr. David, call me Dave Silito. Um, Hello. Yeah, I'm here in all my awfulness. He's there. He's wearing a Liverpool top for reasons. Ugh, I mean, it's just everything. I mean, it's just annoying from the word go. Um, but uh, we have been joined today by uh, a lady, and I've no reason to doubt that this is her name, um, called Carolyn Hobday. Um, so unless, you know, unless there is some kind of born identity issue going on, let's just assume that is her name and call her Carolyn um, from now on. So if you know I'll... anything to the contrary, if you have any intelligence on that, though, do feel free to get in touch in for robinsonralph.com. Reasons why I believe Carolyn Hobday is not Carolyn Hobday's real name, and we will we will investigate that with all the enthusiasm that we can muster. And by that I mean we won't. Um, so anyway, Car- Carolyn is a, a she describes herself a reformed HR director, um, with years and years of experience HR directoring, and I think that's that's the verb um, there. She now she left HR directoring of her own free will to um, open up her own company called uh, May Day. Um, I want. I suggest she called it um, Hobnobbing with Hob Day, but she rejected that as being, and I quote, stupid. Um, <laughs> and she's also the, um, the very famous author of the first in a, a book, in a, in, a book, in a book of trilogies, in a trilogy. Um, and this one's called All the Twats I Met Along the Way. And it's clear from today that journey is an ongoing journey. And uh, Carolyn is here <laughs> to talk to us about um, three things. Um, how to navigate bullying accusations, what to do when a grievance is levelled against HR. Just obviously fans of this podcast and Robinson Ralph will know that we are a big fan of abbreviations because it saves time, but also just so people aren't left out, we also explain the abbreviations so we get both the benefit of brevity, but also the benefit of a full explanation. So HR on that basis, I've saved so much time there already, you can tell HR is actually human resources. And then the final point is the importance of self-care within EHR when it comes to burnout and stress. So, so Carolyn, welcome aboard. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be back. Well, uh, <laughs> let's decide whether you think it's great to be back after you've, you've, you've been on with this for a bit. But thanks for joining us. I know you've been incredibly busy at the moment promoting your book, which I have to say I've read and I loved. And that's not just because um, I mentioned in it. So navigating bullying accusations, is that something that people want to navigate bullying accusations? Does that involve purchasing a telescope? Um, not normally, but I wouldn't preclude it um, from what you might want to do because I would uh, you know, never say never um, with these kind of things. Um, I guess it, it's more that thing of um, from an HR point of view of... It, what really struck a chord with me recently is I was on a discussion forum that was all about speaking up 
um, against toxic um, work cultures. And it came up from somebody in the group that it's like, well, yes, this is all terrible. But what you need to do is you need to go to HR and they just they, they you know, they need to sort it out. And I, I actually had this real urge that I had to step in and go, well, 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 well it's not always that simple. Uh, from an HR point of view. And whilst you know, obviously it is it is important that HR get involved and, and obviously they get involved in bullying accusations, but like what we often fail to understand is what this is like for the HR professionals when there is a bullying accusation in the organisation and particularly where that bullying accusation sits sort of higher up in the organisation um, from an HR point of view. So I really just wanted to shine a light on that today because, you know, when I work mentoring HR people, this comes up a lot, um, like the toll that it takes on HR people when there's bullying accusations in the organisation and the need for them to deal with it. Because I think that the stress that HR you know, handles under those circumstances is, is palpable um, when you talk to them. And I think that it is just about the fact that we, I wanted to acknowledge that HR are put under enormous pressure themselves with how they are asked to deal with bullying accusations or expected to deal with bullying accusations, particularly if they are in a toxic workplace that is leading to those, you know, there's that bullying going on in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to acknowledge sort of here today is that, you know, often those workplaces are the kind of command and control um, type workplaces. And that command and control extends to HR. And, you know, they are put under that pressure often to sort of deal with that bullying situation in a particular way, you know, where the outcome, you know, is, is assumed. And then you've got this poor HR person that's pushing water uphill with regards to the need to follow the right process, not making assumptions about the, about the outcome, not predetermining anything in terms of what the outcome will be discriminatory activity and I think this is where HR themselves need that support and you know it's often like I said when I when I work one-to-one with clients it's often where I provide that support because I think sometimes what people need is somebody external to the organization who is not going to change the outcome of what's happening but provides that release valve for HR in terms of um, you know their need to to deal with it and the pressure that they find themselves under. Is Is that pressure to come to a particular outcome? then that's coming from from the upper echelons of the organization or is it is it pressure to deal with it in a sensitive way or a bit of both um i think it's usually the former um where you've got a toxic workplace you know my my experience is that it's then well this is what we need the outcome to be or we don't really want to follow the process let's just get it to the end and let's do this or they make assumptions about the person that's bringing the bullying accusation and immediately they're sort of labeled as a as a troublemaker or you know if the if it's a manager or senior manager that the accusation is leveled against like you know they close ranks around them and and from an hr point of view trying to get and keep that kind of purity of the process is immensely difficult against a backdrop of look for goodness sake look like let's, let's just make this the outcome yeah because you can't be independent I, I suppose I mean we we as solicitors have to give advice that is you know in, independent ultimately um, but when you're within the organization having to work with those people on a daily basis it's not quite as simple as that I suppose is it no and it's incredibly isolating for the HR person it's isolating whilst it's going on and within the process because quite often you can be a lone voice that's going no hang on a minute we need to deal with it like this or uh, you know they're wanting to do the right thing but coming under that pressure but also that isolation can carry on after the event Mm. so you know if the right outcome 
um, you know, right in terms of what, you know, what the organisation perceives to be the right outcome um, isn't achieved, or the HR person themselves does just try to stand up for what is right, whether they're successful with, with getting that, you know, if they try and stand up for what they believe in and with integrity and what's right, the, the knock-on long-term effects on them in terms of, you know, you were difficult, you were obstructive, you weren't supporting us, you weren't sort of being a team player with us, the management, um, then, you know, that that can have a really sort of lasting effect on an HR person in terms of then how they're perceived, because that sense of lack of support of them trying to do their jobs right, but also that sort of, yeah, that ongoing negativity that they can receive in terms of like, you know, you broke ranks from, from our team. Yeah. Isn't there, I mean, I'm being utterly self-serving when I say this, but isn't isn't there a benefit there to, to get an independent, whether it's an independent consultant, HR or a solicitor in, mm. and to give the advice and to say, here's what you need to do, here's the implications of getting it wrong, so the HR person in the business isn't seen as being a, a block, albeit I appreciate that the, even asking for an internal person to come in, could, external person to come in could be seen as that, but if that person's under that kind of pressure, and also bearing in mind that if it's ultimately them giving evidence at a tribunal, they can't perjure themselves. And that's mm-hmm. what they ultimately might be being asked to do. Yeah, and, and I, I massively advocate that, you know, where it's possible and if the organisation is is open to it, um, is is to say that I think the challenge is, you know, if there's kind of like, well, this is kind of like where we want this to go, then there will be resistance to getting in that external support. But you're right, you know, if you go to a solicitor's firm and, and they can provide that and, again, make sure that the process is, is followed correctly or, you know, an external HR professional or, or, or such like time, type of consultant, Absolutely. You know, it's a really useful way to do that. And I think often where I've seen that happen and it be possible, they've been a huge support to that HR person because, you know, when you get somebody external in, they can say stuff that somebody internally in the organisation often can't. You know, having someone that you can at least talk to, again, whether that's you guys um, from a solicitor point of view, again, you know, like I said, you know, some of the clients I work with are people that are HR professionals who I can then just provide that sounding board and that safe place for them to go and kind of talk about their stuff and just buoy up that resilience and sort of send them back into the fray. Um, then, you know, I, I would definitely sort of always advocate that. Yeah, that's brilliant, Karen. I get all of that, as as I'm sure Dave will try to. And um, what do you, what, <laughs> what what do we, what do we do when a grievance is levelled against um, HR? Remember, uh, podcast fans, HR stands for human resources. So, what what do we do in those circumstances? So. You know, somebody once said to me that you've never actually truly arrived as an HR professional until you've had a grievance leveled against you, um, which I, I do think is is probably um, very true, because um, that's when you know that you've kind of caught people's attention um, in the organisation. But I think that the reason I wanted to talk about this is that often, because HR deal with grievances and it's kind of their territory, is that often when a grievance is levelled against HR, we kind of forget that the HR person themselves is actually a person they are the human bit in human resources and therefore they need the same sort of support that anybody else gets if they've had a grievance leveled against them and again I think it's this idea of you know when I talk about sort of burnout and stress is that it's really stressful for an HR person um, when they have a grievance leveled against them particularly if it's 
questioning sort of their integrity or the way they've gone about something um and that you know what I've experienced in organizations is quite often like everybody else kind of just shrugs and go yeah but you're HR and you're used to this aren't you and it's like well no not really um not as a human being and it's just as stressful and and more so I think if if they sort of feel like it's been you know unjustly done now I'm not saying that there'll never be a grievance against HR that isn't warranted I'm sure there are you know there are good HR people and there's bad HR people and, and those should be investigated accordingly but when that happens and it's done vexatiously um, or erroneously by, by an employee, HR aren't impervious to how that feels. And again, it's about making sure those um, those support mechanisms are in place. So I think you know, it is all about maintaining reputation. I think it's about making sure that your integrity is, is remains intact. But I think from an HR point of view, you do need to sort of insist that that grievance gets handled in the right way if you need to again you need to step away from it so it's very similar to the the advice around bullying is that you may well need to bring in a third party particularly if it's leveled at pretty much the most senior level in HR depending on the size of your organization that getting in somebody externally because I think from an HR point of view you have to be seen to be whiter than white in terms of dealing with it so having a solicitor come in having an HR consultant come in and actually deal with that grievance and investigate it so that HR and whoever it's leveled against but probably at that point you need to make sure the entire HR function because people tend to tend to wrap you all together um, in one bad lot are able to just sit completely outside of any grievance investigation that goes on um, because then you can sort of stand next to the outcome and say we had somebody completely independent come in and do this it was nothing to do with the HR function and then you know here is here is what they found and here is the outcome yeah I mean I mean even if you decide internally that I suppose the decision maker is going to be internal the investigation itself can be outsourced so you've got the external investigation and then the investigator sorry the decision maker is making the decision on the papers and that cuts down the risk of bias subject subject to any employee saying oh the decision maker themselves was was biased but because especially an investigation into hr is probably going to involve interviewing other members of hr that's going to be near on impossible for a company to do internally and I think the other the other thing is as well is it's not it's not for somebody who is the um, the recipient is that the right word of, of an allegation or someone who's been accused to have to say here's why I think they might have lied because we don't have to prove our innocence. Mm. I mean, if you might if you know of a reason, fair enough, you can give it, but you don't. It, it's it's not a fact. It's just because someone makes an allegation does not mean that the allegation has any merit to it. And I just wonder what your experience is. Carolyn, of businesses who find that an allegation, and I'm not talking all grievances for the avoidance of doubt, because some grievances may be brought in good faith. Yeah. It will be the person genuinely believes it and just it's not upheld or, or partially upheld. But the allegations that are truly vexatious, and there is a finding in the outcome that they are vexatious. Mm. Um, my experience, and I don't know what yours and Dave's is, but obviously uh, it'd be good to hear it, is that so few organizations then turn to the disciplinary policy, which in my view, they absolutely should. And what's, what's your experience of that? Uh, Absolutely the same is that, you know, you would think that there would then be a case to say, right, we need to bring disciplinary proceedings against this person because this was vexatious and you know, that they need to be held to account for that. 
so often not. And, and I, I have to be honest, you know, I've seen it amongst HR people themselves who go, look, I, I just want it to go away now. This was yeah. so horrible and awful. I just want to draw a line under it and move on. Or if we're all agreed that like there was, you know, no case to answer. So I think sometimes HR can be just as guilty of that because they themselves don't want to be seen to be bullying or persecuting or victimizing yeah. people, um, you know, by, by then taking them through a process themselves. And quite often they do just want it to go away. But I firmly believe that if if on occasion um, where that happens in an organisation, you do go, actually, we found that this was just a complete load of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and actually, we're going to take you down a disciplinary route as a result of it, because you need to understand that's not acceptable. Yeah. We would stamp some of that stuff out. But in my experience, that I'm, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen that happen, actually, and I don't think I have. Well, that's the end of part one of this great episode of Having a Natter. Why not join us for part two? Music